Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. This morning is a really big day in the life of our church. I'm excited about so many different things today. First of all, I'm excited about uh, the fact that we today celebrate the freedom we have as a country, right? We have the freedom to come together to worship a king and a lord, and we are not under persecution. We are not under threat of any endangerment of being in prison, and so I'm so thankful for that. So just real quickly, just for a moment, I want to say to all of those of you that have served in our military that are either retired or active or inactive, I want you to stand. All of those that have served in the military, would you just stand right now? All of you stand. Come on. You deserve it. Come on to stand. We're so thankful for you. So thankful for you and the freedom that you fought for. All right, you guys still in the show. Sit down. All right. So we're so thankful for you guys. Also, I'm excited about today because the very end of the service, we're going to do the big reveal about where we're at on the property and the purchase of that. And so we're excited about that. Another reason I'm super excited about today is because my favorite person in the world is here this morning. My little grandson, Henry's right back there. Hopefully he's going to go to sleep. I'm sure at the sound of my voice, that's very soothing to him, right? Like, like most of you feel, I'm sure. And so the last thing I'm excited about today, we began a brand new series called One Hit Wonders. We finally got through the book of Colossians, and today we're beginning a five-week series on One Hit Wonders. I'm sure if you've listened to music at any level in your life, you can think of maybe an artist or a song that was like a big song. I mean, like it hit it, and it hit like top the charts. It was number one for like 46 weeks running, and then that artist never produced another song ever again, right? You're like, wow, what happened to them? Like Vanilla Ice is the first one that comes to my mind. He had that song, right? You know, you know, and so, yeah, some of you don't sing it. It's all right. So some of you know what I'm talking about. It went all the way to the top for like weeks on end, and that's the last we heard of Vanilla Ice. And so we know those kind of people. Now, this the series we're going to begin is called One Hit Wonders. Now, these we're going to look through five books of the Bible, all five books, Obadiah, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Philemon. All five books are what we're going to call One Hit Wonders because all five books have one chapter to them. And the reason we're going to take five weeks to go through these five books is because while they may be small in size, they are not insignificant in the Word of God. I mean, they are very powerful. They pack a big, big punch. And so we're going to take five weeks and go through these five books of the Bible. And today I'm going to start with the book of Obadiah. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Obadiah. It's right after the book of Amos, and it's right before the book of Micah. And so if you have a Bible, you please turn to your table of contents. It's okay, all right? No shame in that. But the book of Obadiah. Now, before we get into the book, I've really got to take some time to set this thing up. You need to understand what we're reading, what's going on. Obadiah is an Old Testament prophet of God. He was a prophet somewhere between 586 to 530 BC. Now here's what was going on in the lifespan of Obadiah. The people of God, known as the Israelites, who were in the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, Israel was one big nation, and because of Solomon's, uh, because he just kind of walked down a path of wickedness for a while, God took the kingdom away from him, and he divided this one massive kingdom into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah. They were all Israelites, but now there's two kingdoms. Well, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom so walked away from God that God allowed the Assyrian nation to come in and destroy the northern kingdom. And you would think that would be a warning to the southern kingdom. Hey, pay attention, right? 
hey, get back on track. And so the southern kingdom of Judah did not listen to the warnings, did not pay attention. And in 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah was decimated. It was destroyed by the Babylonians that came in. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed everything. So the people of Israel that were in the southern kingdom of Judah, many of them were slaughtered and some of them were taken off into captivity into a place known as Babylon. In fact, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys were in captivity in Babylon during this time period. So the nation of Israel is no more at that point. They are a people group without a land. They are a people group without a home. They are exiles. They are prisoners. They are captives. And it's under that voice that Obadiah becomes the prophet of God. Now, here's what makes Obadiah, the book, so significant. Obadiah's words are not words to the nation of Israel. His words are much like the book of Jonah. Jonah is not a book where Jonah's a prophet. He's not issuing any warning to Israel. It was strictly to the Ninevites in the place of Nineveh. And so the book of Obadiah is addressing a group of people known as the Edomites. They were Edom. Now, just to give you a quick reference who they are, the Edomites are descendants of a guy by the name of Esau. Everybody say Esau. Esau was one of the brothers. He had a brother named Jacob, and the descendants of Jacob was the Israelites. So you've got Jacob, whose descendants were the Israelites, and you've got Esau, whose descendants were the Edomites. Now, what we know from Scripture, and we don't have time to build this case, you just got to trust me, is both of these guys, Jacob and Esau, took two very different paths in life. And what's so significant about the book of Obadiah, on one hand, it's a warning to those who follow the path of Esau. See, Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac, which means he would have inherited, I mean, he would have inherited two-thirds of all that Isaac had. So he was the next in line because he was the oldest. And guess what he did with that? He sold it for a bowl of stew. He sold two-thirds of his birthright for a bowl. So how many of you ready to do that, right? Anybody? Anybody? Tyler, you're always the guy, right? I mean, how wonky is that or how crazy is that that you would take two-thirds of your daddy's inheritance and you were so hungry that you would sell it for a bowl of stew? That's exactly what Esau did. Esau, the Bible tells us that Esau was a man who lived to please his own flesh. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Esau was a godless man. But here's the worst part about Esau. Esau hated his brother Jacob. So this book is a warning that if you follow the path of Esau, if you live a life of self-indulgence, if you live a life of hatred, it's going to lead you to a place where God is going to humble you and he's going to bring destruction your way. But on the other hand, this book is a word of encouragement, a book of encouragement to those who choose to follow the path of Jacob. See, Jacob, if you, does anybody know what the name Jacob means? Yeah, it means crooked. It means deceiver. You're like, who wants to follow that path? Well, just follow me for a minute. Yes, he was a deceiver. We know, if you know the story, he was a deceiver. But at the end of the day, what separated Jacob and Esau, Esau was all about living and pleasing for himself. Ultimately, God had a hold of Jacob's heart, and Jacob loved the Lord and followed and tried to lift the Lord. Was he a work in progress? Absolutely. Are you a work in progress? Absolutely, right? And so you've got Esau, this wicked man who had a descendants known as the Edomites, and you've got Jacob, this man who followed God, his descendants known as the Israelites. And so this book is a warning for those who want to go down the path of Esau, but it's a word of encouragement to those who want to follow the path of Jacob. If you want to trust the Lord, guess what's in store for you? Blessing. 
protection and provision. Now, the interesting thing about the story of Jacob and Esau, if you've ever had two boys, and I have three of them, and you'd be so shocked to know this, they fought all the time. Anybody shocked? I mean, do you have kids, they fight all the time when they were little? Man, there's a point as a parent, especially my oldest two, they're 18 months apart, there was a point you're like, I'm not sure you're ever going to be able to come back from the arguments you had at 10 years old because you act like you hate each other just that much, right? And so there was a point in Jacob and Esau's life in the book of Genesis where they actually reconciled. But it was short-lived. And Jacob's hatred for Esau, I mean Esau's hatred for Jacob, grew to the point where his hatred for Jacob was passed down through his descendants, the Edomites. And now the Edomites hate the descendants of Jacob, known as the Israelites. And that's the background to the story of Obadiah. And if you got all of that, say, I'm with you. Okay, great. You were way smarter than I thought. Oh, here we go. No, I'm just kidding. You got it. Here we go. So if you have the book of Obadiah open, the three things I want us to notice about the book of Obadiah, and then there's really about three or four takeaways I want us to have. The first thing I want you to notice in the book of Obadiah is the judgment of Edom, that God is going to speak through Obadiah to pronounce judgment on the Edomites for their actions. And look what he says in verse 1. It says, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has sent among the nations, rise up, let us rise against her for battle. In other words, you're saying, listen, here's the message for Edom. Are you ready? God is going to bring the nations around you and they're coming after you. God is going to rise up all of these nations, Edom, because of your wickedness, because of your hatred, and because of your pride, which we'll get to in a minute, because of how you're living life, God is rising up nations that are going to come against you. Because of your mistreatment of God's holy people, God is going to have vengeance on you. Now, here's why that is important for you and me. Have you ever been in a place in your life as a believer where you felt ridiculed, rebuked, ostracized, or people have taken advantage of you, and there's that human part of you that goes, I really want revenge. Anybody ever felt that way before? Okay, some of you are lying in the room. I know you felt that way before, right? We feel that way. We want to, but here's the good news of Obadiah is that God does vengeance for us, that God will stand against those who are accusers, that they, the, listen, the people that come against you don't have the last word, but God does. And so God's telling the Edomites that I'm going to rise up nations against you. And then specifically next, God speaks directly against the Edomites about their judgment. Look with me in verse 2 through 4. He says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You have lived in the clefts of the rocks and your lofty dwellings who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though, though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now here's what the Lord says in verse 2 through 4, as he speaks directly to Edom, he's like, I will bring you down because of your pride. You think, Edom, that you have arrived. You think, Edom, that you are untouchable. So you're soaring with the eagles. You're, 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 you're up with the stars. I mean, you think that you're above everything else. Your pride has so deceived you that you think you're untouchable. But I want you to know, Edom, because of your actions, because of your wickedness, I am going to humble you. So he's casting judgment on them. But that's not bad enough. Look what he says next in verse 5 through 6. He says, if thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not glean or would they not leave some gleanings? 
how Esau has pillaged his treasures, sought out. In other words, he's saying, listen, here's the deal. Not only am I going to bring you down due to your pride, but my destruction is going to be total destruction. Here's what I mean. He says, when thieves come, they just take enough, right? When people come get your grapes and they glean, they leave some gleanings. But when I come, it's a total annihilation. I know you're thinking, man, this is not a very encouraging message right now. But listen, these are people who are anti-God's people. These are people who've abused and mistreated and, and did all kinds of things to the Israelites. And we're going to see more of that in a minute. And God just wants them to know, listen, you think that you're untouchable. You think that you're above everybody else. I just want you to know, I have the last word with you, Edom, and I'm going to bring destruction to you. And it's not going to be a slap on the hands. I'm not going to leave a little bit there. It's going to be total annihilation. Now listen, here's the good news in that. We have an enemy. Who's your enemy? Do you know who your enemy is? Okay, some of you were thinking about looking to your spouse. They're not your enemy. <laughs> not your neighbors. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And one day, what God is going to do to Edom is the very thing that Satan's going to experience. He will spend eternity being annihilated. I mean, hell is the devil's punishment too. I hope you know that this morning. He's not like the ruler of hell waiting for us to show up. No, no, no. That's his punishment too. That's the demon's punishment too. He's not the ruler of that place. That is where he will spend eternity and pay for all that he's done and he will never get out and never be this. I mean, that is where Satan will dwell for all eternity is in a place called hell. And so while Edom is going to be totally annihilated because the way he's, they've treated Israel, listen, Satan one day will be annihilated because the temptation, the strife, the chaos, and all that he's done to us. Is that good news to you this morning? Man, it should be good news because he doesn't have the last say. God does. But if that's not big enough, look what he says in verse 7. This is, this is powerful. He says, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. In other words, listen, not only am I going to bring my judgment, not only is it going to be total annihilation, listen, there is nowhere for you to turn. There's nowhere for you to turn. And then God makes them a promise. Listen to this promise, verse, verse 8. He says, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. In other words, I will not come to your rescue. Those of you that have mistreated my people that I loved and I've cared for, those of you that have relished in the misfortune of the Israelites, listen, I'm rising up nations against you, and the judgment that is coming is not a slap on the wrist. It is a judgment that's going to bring total annihilation. And when these other nations rise up against you, Edom, guess what? I'm not going to rescue you. See, for Edom, there seems to be this small sense of hopelessness, right? And so right out of the gate, God speaks judgment to Edom. And then I want you to notice the second thing in the passage. He talks about the pride of Edom. You know what pride is, right? Anybody know, you know what pride is, right? Pride is this notion that I'm better than you are. That I'm right and you're what? Not just kind of right, you're totally wrong. And that my way is what? 
Come on, the only one. There you go, right? That's pride. And some of you that didn't want to say that, it's because maybe you struggle with that. Because right? you know that's the way you feel, right? That my way is the right way. It's the only way. And so there's this notion where God begins to speak to their pride, where they think that they're better than everybody. So now here was the pride of Edom. They thought that because Israel was being so mistreated, I mean, that they were being taken off into captivity, they relished in that fact. They, listen, they celebrated the misfortune of God's people. Have you ever known anybody that celebrated somebody else's misfortune? Come on. Now, I'm not talking about someone's death or a car accident, but like they didn't get the promotion. They were like, oh, I'm glad they didn't get that, right? You ever know people like that? You probably have. And that's how the Edomites were. They were at this place where they were celebrating. And so here's what God says to the Edomites. Look at verse 10 and 11. He says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, in other words, what you've done to Israel, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day when strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered into the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. In other words, when Israel was at their greatest need, hear me on this, when Israel was at their greatest need, Edom, when you had a chance to redeem yourself, when you had a chance to put the past in the past and let bygones be bygones and fight the temptation of your forefather Esau and believing and the hatred that and when the moment when Israel was of the greatest needs, when you could have come to the rescue, you did nothing. You did absolutely nothing. Why? Because the pride that you have in your life. You think you're better than Israel. You have carried the same hatred toward Israel that your, that your grand, great, 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 whatever grandfather Esau carried toward his brother Jacob. When you had a moment to make the relationship right again, when you could have reconciled all things together again, when you had that moment, guess what? You did absolutely nothing. Now, here's just a quick thought. I don't know about you, but I'm assuming with a room this full, and many of us, all of us having some kind of family relationships, have you ever been in a family that was, that fought? Like, like real fighting, like don't talk kind of fighting, like we're going to let years and months go by? Ever, anybody ever had that kind of family situation? Have you ever had a moment in that family situation when you had, when someone had the chance to make things right? And the moment just passed them by. How sad is that? I mean, I have a family that's kind of like that. I mean, my family, I've told this before, they got into a fight when I was like 13 years old and like four or five years went and the family never talked. I mean, we lived like 300 yards away from each other and nobody talked. All the grandkids, all the cousins, we all suffered for it. And there was plenty of opportunities. And you know what? You know what it took in our family was the death of my grandmother to finally bring everybody back. How sad and pathetic is that? See, when Edom had a chance to come to the, the aid and the rescue of Israel, they were as guilty as all the enemies were. They relished in it. They relished in their misfortune. And look what he says next here. He tells them something very powerful. He says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over the disaster in the day of calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his refugees. Do, do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. In other words, the Lord is saying, listen, Edom, you did not come to the rescue, but I want to tell you something. Don't you dare gloat and lord over them or loot from them in the midst of their trials. Don't you dare gloat. Now, why, why, listen, why in the world would the Lord tell Edom, who's filled with pride, not to gloat over their, the people they hate and their misfortune? 
Well, some of you might say, well, Doug, they would say, he would say, don't gloat over them because that's just the right thing to do, right? I mean, gloating over anyone is the wrong thing to do. Would you agree with that? It's always the wrong thing to do. But I think the story's bigger than that. I think God is telling Edom through Obadiah, he's telling the Edomites, don't gloat over the misfortune of Israel because you need to spend more of your time worrying about my judgment that's coming on you. You need to spend more of your time worrying about seeking my mercy. You need to spend more of your time worrying about if what happened to Israel and Judah is going to happen to you because of how you're living your life. So instead of you spending your time bragging and gloating and lording it over them, you need to spend your time waiting and watching because I'm coming. I don't know about you, but I think that's what it means at some level to fear the Lord. There is a respect factor, but listen, listen, listen to me, church. There is a sense in the Old Testament, and you even see it in the New Testament, that if we don't obey the Lord, that there's some real consequences for that. You see that in Scripture? I don't know about you, but too many of us live our lives going, you know, I kind of blew it. No, 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 you didn't blow it. You sinned. That's what you did. No, I just kind of made a mistake. No, 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 no. You didn't make a mistake. You sinned. We need to start calling sin, sin again, don't we? We start calling it that again. And there's this notion here for the Edomites. Listen, you need to stop gloating over this because I'm coming. There is going to be accountability for your actions and your attitudes. And I'm just telling you, church, as followers of Jesus Christ, our actions have consequences. They do. When we obey the Lord, there's blessing. When we disobey the Lord, there's discipline. We've got to start living in the light of this fact that when we live, however we live, obedience or disobedience, God is going to respond accordingly. There's too many of us that live our life thinking, I can do what I want to do, and God's going to be okay with it. And he's not okay with it. When you look through scripture, one of my favorite stories is a guy by the name of, two guys by the name of Nadab and Abihu. That's what you all should name your kids. Nadab and Abihu, they were the sons of Aaron. And they were, Aaron was the priest, and so they became priests, and they went into the temple and did what God told them not to do, and they offered an unauthorized offering to the Lord. You know what God did with them? He consumed them with fire. Well, that's a bit harsh. No, no, no. God is just that holy. But it's not harsh. He's just that holy. And we as believers need to start living with that kind of tension that we need to obey the Lord and all that we do. So he says, listen, you better stop gloating. And then in verse 15, he says this. For the day of the Lord is what? It's near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as much have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as those who have never been. In other words, here's what Obadiah is saying. There's a day of accountability coming. And I want you to hear me on this, Edom. What you have sown you will what? Reap. reap. What you've sown, you will reap. And so God addresses the judgment of Edom, and he addresses the pride of Edom. And the third thing I want you to see, I think, which I think is extremely powerful, is the hope we see in God, for God's people. It says this in verse 17 and 18. But in the Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and that shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivors of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. That's one of those thus saith the Lord moments that we see in Scripture. And what we see here is a hope for God's people. Here's the hope. 
that for all those who had been in Judah that were now in captivity in Babylon, even though many of them had died and only few were still alive, there was still this hope that there's always a remnant of people because God's never done with his people. God is never done with them. And he also wanted Israel to know this, that the Edomites don't have the last word for you. I have the last word for you. I have the last bit of your story. They don't know the ending of your story, but I do. Now, here's why that's important for us. The story of hope moves even beyond the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament. See, in the New Testament, the story of hope is not about whether you're a Jew, a descendant of Israel, or a Gentile, not a descendant of Israel. It's no longer about Jew or Greek or male or female. The hope is this, that whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ shall be saved. That is the hope of the New Testament. And we see that here, a picture of that, a glimpse of that here in the book of Obadiah. So when you read the book of Obadiah, here's what we see. A group of people, the descendants of Esau, and their hatred toward Israel, and the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, now in captivity, and God speaks words of judgment to the Edomites, says, listen, I'm bringing destruction, and it's going to be total annihilation. I'm going to destroy everything. And why? It's because of your pride. It's because you thought you were better than everybody else. So you better stop gloating, because a day of accountability is coming. And then he ends the book with this hope for his people. In fact, we're not going to read the rest of it, but if you finish the book, what we see is that Obadiah points out the Lord blesses uh, his people with dominion and victory. He ultimately shares the message that God's people are going to be victorious. You know what the good news in that is this, is that no matter what you're going through in life, because can we be honest, life gets messy, doesn't it? Life throws us curveballs. Life throws us some things that sometimes gets hard to handle. We have situations and circumstances that are oppressive to us. I mean, we get dealt some pretty raw hands in life. But it's a reminder of this, of what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, right? That we are victorious, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so as we wrap up the book of Obadiah this morning... I want to give you really four takeaways, and I want you to write these down if you have something to write with. Just real quickly, here's the first one. We need to remember this, that God is always in control. See, I don't know about you, but when I turn the news on, when I go to Walmart, the world is crazy, right? And most of them go to Walmart somewhere between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., right? So, so, I mean, just the world around us is chaos. But listen, no matter what chaos is broke loose in the world today, Jesus still has the reins. Are you with me on that? No matter what goes nuts in the world, Jesus is still on his throne, and nothing has caught him off guard. He's still in control. In fact, if you look at the book of Obadiah, here's what we see, that he brought all the nations together to fight the Edomites. He was the grand orchestrator. And listen, nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. God is always in control. We can't forget that. Second takeaway I think we need to get is this, is that pride always deceives us. I don't know about you, but I would venture to say all of us at some level struggle with pride. We do. Because I don't know about you, but I like my way. You like your way? I don't care for your way, but I really like my way. Because my way is the right way, because it's my way. And so we all struggle with pride, but listen, pride is deceiving. Here's why it's deceiving. And the Edomites knew this better than anybody. Pride gives us a false sense of independence. It gives us a false sense of self-sufficiency. It gives us this mindset that I don't need anybody else. That it gives me the mindset that I'm untouchable and that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. 
And pride deceives us. And if anybody knows that, the Edomites would learn this, that pride deceives them. And the third thing I want you to write down is this, that God always humbles the proud. It's a theme we see all through Scripture. God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble, right? God always humbles the proud. How did he humble the Edomites? By bringing judgment, by reminding them what you have sown, you also will what? Reap. And hear me in this church, that's true for you and I too. That's not just a financial concept. That's a spiritual concept. What we sow, we will reap. That's true for us. But listen, it's also true for those that come against us. Those who come against us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, those who come against us and try to oppress us and ridicule us and rebuke us, make us feel less than, listen, they too will reap what they've sown. Not because it's your hands, but the hands of Almighty God. And so we need to realize that God always humbles the proud. And here's the last thing I want you to write down, is that God does provide a way of escape. See, I love, some of you have asked me, like, man, Doug, we're spending a lot of time in the Old Testament. You know why? I love the Old Testament. You know why I love the Old Testament? Because from Genesis all the way to Malachi, there's a thread of redemption you see all the way through. There's a thread of sinfulness of humanity, but God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. It didn't just show up in the New Testament with Jesus. We see it all in the Old Testament, but it's all pointing to Jesus, right? Because the ultimate act of grace and mercy happened on Calvary. It happened at a cross, and it was completed with a resurrection. And so all the Old Testament takes me right there. Listen, I don't care where you find yourself this morning, how bad you think you are. At the end of the day, there is always a way of escape. See, the Ninevites... They were the greatest enemy of all of Israel. And God told Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach a message. And we know the story. What did Jonah do? He went the opposite direction, tried to go 2,500 miles, got swallowed by a great fish, and eventually, three days later, repented, got vomited out. That's kind of gross, but that's what happened. He got vomited out, and then he went to the the Ninevites, reluctantly still, and he preached, according to our Bible, a one-sentence message. And all of Nineveh got saved. And Jonah still wasn't happy. But all of Nineveh got saved. What does that mean? Is that God was going to bring destruction to the Ninevites, but because they repented, he relinquished and didn't give them wrath, but he gave them grace. And hear me on this. The Edomites could have had a chance to redeem themselves. And so do you. If you're a believer this morning and you look at your life going, I mean, I'm not living the way God wants me to. Listen, there is a way of escape. It starts with Repentance. It continues with surrender, and then it's about putting our faith and trust in him. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, and you think, Doug, okay, when I look at my life, my life is loaded with pride. My life is loaded with self-indulgence. My life is loaded with doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And, I, I, and you're saying, Doug, to me, that God is going to pour his wrath on me. Well, the answer is, if you die with that position, yes is the answer. You will spend an eternity apart from Christ, but there is a way of escape. And it's not through works. It's not through your money. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it begins with saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I turn from my sin, I'm going to turn to Christ. I surrender my life. And I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. There is a way of escape. You know, a couple weeks ago, 
the East Campus staff, we did an escape room. And I'm not very claustrophobic until you're in a room with five other people or four other people in a room that's very, very small, and they're all trying to move and go. And there's a part of me that wants to just, like, knock them all out so I can breathe again, you know, because, I mean, escape room just kind of makes me a little tight. And there was this one moment they said, you have to be ready to crawl. And we're all like, look, look, if we got to crawl through something tight, Doug's not doing it. Goes, I have to tap out, right, because I need to know that I can get out at any point. And so as soon as we go into the room there, they shut the door behind us. Anybody been through escape room? Okay, there was a moment of going, I might need to scream right now. <laughs> so I did what all godly people do that are scared to death sometimes. I went and I grabbed the door handle and I turned it and it would open still. And I'm like, okay, there's a way of escape. Just in case I get stuck, this is my way out. Listen, Jesus is your way out. And he's always there. There's never a moment where he's going to turn a deaf ear toward you. He's always there. So what this morning we have in the book of Obadiah is we have two paths. We have the path of Esau, one of self-destruction and total living for themselves, which will lead to judgment and discipline. Or we have the path of Jacob, the path of someone who was a work in progress but loved the Lord. And here's the question after this morning, which path are you on? Come on, be honest with yourself. Which path are you on? You can be a believer and still struggle with being on the path of Esau, but you know what you need to do this morning? You need to repent. You need to cry out to God. Say, Lord, I surrender my pride. I surrender my attitude. I surrender my need to be right. And I trust you. And if you don't know Christ today, would you just pray what we talked about a moment ago and receive him as your Lord and Savior? Which path are you on this morning? And whatever commitment you need to make, would you do that? Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just stand with me? Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the book of Obadiah. I know it's harsh. I know there's a lot of judgment in the book of Obadiah. And I'm not excited to preach that, Lord, because that, that's terrifying to think that how an almighty God would bring judgment on a nation like that. But what I do love about the book of Obadiah, Lord, is it reminds me that the pride that we all struggle with is a pride that is deceiving. And those of us that wrestle with pride, Lord, we need to be reminded this morning that you will humble us. And so for those that are followers of you, Lord, may that humbling begin right now. May it begin without you having to knock our legs out from beneath us, but it may it begin with us having awareness of our own pride and confessing that to you, turning that over to you, trusting you with it, and asking you to do a work in our lives. And Lord, I pray for that person maybe today that doesn't know you. That we, as we look at the book of Obadiah, and yes, there seems to be a lot of judgment, there's also hope. There is a way of escape. And that way of escape for us today, for those that don't know you, Lord, is through faith in your son, Jesus. So God, I pray that wherever we find ourselves, that we would make whatever commitment your Holy Spirit is leading us to make this morning. For we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and Lord, I pray in these next few moments, we would just worship and sing and declare how awesome, how amazing, and how great that you truly are, Lord. So from the bottom of our hearts, may we sing, may we celebrate, and may we declare who and how great you really are. For it's in your precious son's name we pray.